I'll ask the rest of you, if you would, open your copy of God's Word with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter as we return to our verse-by-verse exposition of this book that Peter has been uh, writing to uh, believers um, in uh, various parts of the Roman Empire, the people that he loved dearly, that he had um, helped to, to instruct in the faith, and as things are becoming darker in the world in which they're living, hostility is growing against the Christian church, uh, people are, are beginning to suffer more than, more than ever for professing faith in Christ, and Peter is writing in order to encourage the believers to help them to be, to be faithful in, uh, by reminding them, first of all, of whose, whose they are, who they belong to. They are children of God. They have been saved by the power of Christ. They have been redeemed for a purpose. And so throughout the letter, Peter reminds them of the promises, the eternal promises that they have been guaranteed in Christ Jesus. But he also reminds them not to allow the, the persecution and the difficulty and the hardships of life to distract them from the purpose for which they were saved. He, throughout this letter, Peter continues to, to teach us and to teach the, his readers that, that when, when you're saved, when you're brought into a right relationship with God, it's not simply so you can feel better about yourself. It's not simply so that you can have the assurance of heaven. He saves you for a reason. He saves you for a purpose in order that Christ might be exalted in your life, that you might be conformed to His image, and that other people might be saved through the testimony of your life. Every believer is significant because every believer is called to be a witness to the glory of Christ. And so throughout this path, throughout this book, Peter has been reminding us to to hold fast to the faith that's been given us and to remember the calling and not to be distracted by the difficulties of this world, but to focus our attention, our hearts, and our minds on Christ and on serving Him and on representing Him in in all that we do. Now, it's interesting, and I think one of 1 Peter... Um, like so many of the books in in the in the New Testament and really throughout the Bible, people you know people think well you know it's it's an old book it's not really relevant to today and and yet when you think about the audience that Peter was writing to and the circumstances that they were facing and then you look at the world that we're living in today, especially in in our country in particular because we've been blessed over I mean over the years over the history of our nation we have been a blessed nation and uh, and God has blessed us and He has encouraged. Uh, he has encouraged us in, in uh, providing for us and giving us safety and security and provision. And, and uh, not because we're anything special, but I believe that a lot of the blessings that we've received from God have been because of the foundation on which our country was built on, the, the biblical principles and morality which we were pursuing. Not to say that we did everything right, because you know what? Our history is full of, of mistakes that we made, things that we did horribly wrong. But there is this sense in which we as a, as a nation were built upon Christian principles, biblical principles and Christian morality. And what's happened over the years is the same thing that we see, very parallel to what we see happening in the Old Testament with the people of Israel, is that over the years as Israel was blessed and God watched over them and and prospered them, what did they do? They turned their heart away from God. 
And we see the same thing happening in our nation. The more that we've been blessed and the longer that time goes on, we've, we've stopped praising God for the blessings that we have, and we've started thinking that somehow we've accomplished all this on our own. And, and we begin to take credit for it. And pride has snuck into the hearts of our nation. And, and, and people have been slowly turning away from God, turning away from the biblical truths, turning away from those things which, which were foundational for us in the early years, but really seemed to be completely absent or nearly absent from the culture in which we're living today. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scary reality, but the, the truth is, is that God's promises haven't changed. And so as Peter was writing to encourage the people of his day, as we read this, these passages, as we read this letter, we should be encouraged recognizing that this word is relevant to us today. You know, Peter, like I said, throughout the letter, Peter's dealt with these issues over and over again. He's helped us to see how we respond to a world that is increasingly hostile to us as believers. And the, but the reality is, is even when, when we, I think when we think about hostility in the world and the way the world responds to us as believers, our, kind of our, our natural tendency is we want to be hostile back to the world, but that's not what Christ has called us to. See, that's the way the world responds to hostility, is by, with hostility. But we're, we're called to, to show grace, just as we've been shown grace. We're, we're called to a place of humility, not a place of pride. We're called to demonstrate the love of Christ and, and the grace of Christ in the things that we do. So that when, when the world is hostile towards us, it's not that we just let them run all over us or that we, we don't... You know, that we don't have ground on which to stand because we do. We have the promises of God on which we stand. We have the hope of the gospel on which we stand. And we cling to those things. But we respond not out of self-righteousness and arrogance and pride, but we respond in humility and in love so that people can see the character of Christ reflected in His church. That is what we're getting to. And that's really what, what the essence of Peter has been trying to, to teach us and to remind us of. And as we've gotten into this last chapter, into chapter 5, um, Peter has began to address the elders of the church, those who are called to be pastors and overseers, and, and, he's, and he's addressed them and told them basically, you know what, it begins with you. It begins with your example. It begins with you protecting the sheep and feeding the sheep and strengthening the sheep and serving as an example so that they can also reflect the character of God and the things that they do. And we, and we looked at that over the last, or for several weeks, we looked at that in, in verses 1 through, in 1 through 4. And now as we get to verse number 5, we see a slight change in, in Peter's direction and in, in who he's addressing. And Peter goes from addressing the elders to addressing the congregation in a message that reminds the congregation, reminds us as the flock of God what our responsibilities are in, in responding to a world that is increasingly hostile, in responding to the reality that there is a fiery trial that awaits us and that we need to keep our eyes focused on Christ. Would you stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's holy and inspired word as we read from 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 5 through 7. You 
Younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He might exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we approach Your Word this morning, I would ask that You would just convict us of pride. And that You would open our hearts to the instruction towards humility that we might be recipients of grace. And we ask it in the precious name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. As Peter continues to encourage the church towards faithfulness. As I said, we see a change in who he's addressing in these verses. He goes from speaking to the elders in verses 1-4 through to speaking to the younger men. But who is, who is it that he's really referring to? What is, it, what is really the message that he's getting out? Let's, let's talk about the overall message of what he's saying in these verses before we get to who he's addressing. The message is, is really it's twofold. One, We're a people in need of grace. Grace is the solution to every problem that we face. Grace is what the people of Peter's day needed. Grace is what the people of today need. Grace is what's needed. Secondly, humility is the key to unlocking God's grace. It's so interesting as I continue to reflect and and, and meditate on these passages and on these verses, and and I think about this, this realization of our need for grace and this call for humility in order to unlock God's grace. And we understand what is grace is God's undeserved favor, right? I mean, grace is all of God. It comes to us regardless, right? I mean, it's, it's, it, we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Yet at the same time, Scripture calls us to humility to fight against pride in order that we might be partakers of grace. You think, well, that, well, how can grace be all of God and how can we not deserve it and how can we not earn it when it says here that if we're, if we're humble, God's going to give it to us. Well, it's, just, it's one, of those, one of those tensions that in Scripture that, that God continually is to hold this balance between God's ultimate sovereignty over all things and man's responsibility to respond to it. This, this balance is held up in Scripture from beginning to end. Is this balance between man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. And when we talk of God's grace and God's sovereignty, we know that God is in control of all things and that God is, is Lord of all things, and yet He holds us responsible for our actions. He calls us to respond to His truths. And so when we think about the, the reality that, that grace is what we need and that it's undeserved and God's going to bring it into our life in accordance with His perfect will, yet at the same time He says, if you want to be partakers of grace, you need to be humble. I mean, even when we begin to think about what grace... I mean, just the very essence of the grace of salvation. Right? We, we, when we think about grace, we, all, we almost immediately begin to think of the saving grace that God has bestowed on us through Jesus Christ. That though we were sinners, and though we were, were cast 
or cast away from God deserving of judgment, God and His infinite love for us sent His Son to die for us in order that we might be forgiven of our sins and we might be adopted into His family. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reminds us that it is by grace that you are saved and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's grace, right? But there's still, I mean, we still have to respond. I mean, if you, if you think about it, the grace that comes to us in salvation is really, it's, it's a pride-humility issue. As long as we think that we're good enough within ourselves, that's pride, we're never going to receive the grace of God for salvation. We have got to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God to recognize our sinfulness in His presence and then to seek His forgiveness. That's humility. Humility leads us to repentance. And so, even grace in the, in the most basic sense of, in that of our salvation is that which is given to us through... Now understand this. It's God's work that humbles us. And through that humility, we're brought to faith and repentance. And so, the, the, the point, and this is the point that Peter makes throughout this passage, and it, it's captured for us there at the end of verse 5 where it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's, he's quoting there from, from uh, Proverbs 3.34, um, a, a passage that is also quoted in James as he's giving instruction to the church about the necessity of humility. And uh, humility is one of those common themes that we see throughout Scripture that God continually calls His people back to humility. And why do you think we have so many reminders of humility in Scripture? Because we tend to be a prideful people. But if we're going to be what God has called us to be, if we're going to accomplish the mission that God has given us as His children, then we need God's grace to accomplish it. And if we're going to experience the grace of God, we need to be humble in our attitudes and in our actions. So as Peter is speaking to us here in verse 5, and he, and he tells us God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's telling us our need is for grace. We need grace. That's why he's telling us to be humble. Because we need His grace. Grace is the solution to the problems that we face. As, as His audience was facing increased persecution, as we're facing difficulty and hardship and, and increasing hostility in our own world and in our own lives, we need God's grace. We need His grace in order to overcome. We need His grace in order to Excuse me, in order to, to be all that He's called us to be. But listen, we need, we need grace for everything. We need grace for the air we breathe. We need grace for the beat of our heart. We need, we need grace to just get through the day. Because grace isn't just salvation. That's a beautiful picture of grace. But everything that God gives to us, every gift we enjoy in this life, every good thing that comes from God is a gift of grace. And when, when Peter's talking about giving grace to the humble, I don't believe when he's speaking to, to, to the believers here, he's not talking about the grace of salvation. He's talking about God's sustaining grace. That grace which we need from day to day. He's, already ta he's talking to people who've already made a profession of faith. Now, listen, I believe he understood there was probably lost people that were going to hear what, the message that he wrote. 
But he's addressing people that have made a profession of faith. He's addressing people that are, that are following Christ, that are seeking after Christ. And he says, listen, if you're, going to, if you're going to be what God's called you to be as his church, as his people, you need to remember to be humble. Grace is so important to us, but we cannot achieve it without humility. See, grace sustains us in our trials. Paul reminds us of that in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. God's sustaining grace. Anybody in need of grace this morning? I know I, know I am. We are, we are so in need, and so often we, just, we think we've got a handle on it. Or, or we'll turn to God for the really hard things, but we're going to hold back for the things that we think we can handle on our own. Listen, why, why are you holding it back? Is there anything that God can't handle? Is there anything that you think that God needs you to handle on His behalf? Let me put it that way. Because if you think about it that way, I mean, you begin to realize there's, there's nothing that God needs you to handle for Him. He, he's, he's not so limited in His power or in His time or in His ability that He needs you to take care of things for Him. We need to continue to submit to Him in humility and seeking his grace, because His grace is sufficient for us. God upholds all things by the word of His power, and all things are being worked together according to the counsel of His will. And it is only by His will and by His grace that we're able to overcome, to endure, and to achieve what it is He's put us on this earth to achieve. I was, as I was studying this last week, I was reminded of, in so many ways, of the, the children of Israel and the things that they went through. But in particular, I mean, just, just pride just comes up over and over and over again in their, in their journeys. But as I was thinking about the special grace of God and which sustains us in our difficulty and which unlocks the, the, the power of God into our life, I was reminded of, of Israel fleeing from Egypt. And Moses speaking to the people. He under, Moses understood. Moses was given wisdom to understand. He was dealing with a hard-hearted people. And uh, even, I mean, even at the very beginning, I mean, they're just, they're just leaving. And, and they get hemmed in by the Red Sea, right? Pharaoh's armies are coming, chariots and people, and the people start complaining and grumbling. I mean, they hadn't even, I mean, they had they'd been gone a day, and they're already complaining. And, and Moses speaks to him in Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. He says, Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. They didn't have to do anything except trust what God was going to do. Now, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not advocating that we don't ever have to do anything. 
I, I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches us. You just sit back and just, man, God's going to take care of everything. That's, that's, not what, that's not what it's saying. We have to be reasonable. We have to be responsible. We have to do the things that God's given us to do. We have to be obedient children. But we have to understand that when it comes to dealing with, with, the, with the issues of life and the things that come along, that it's not us that accomplishes anything. It's God. It's, it's the Lord working in us and through us. You know, and so many times we, we, we come across difficulties in life, we think, well, it's, it's up to us to make it right. It's up to us to have all the answers. It's up to us to be sure that things go the way we want them to go. But you know, all of that's based on a, on a self-sufficient, self-reliant attitude that really it's prevalent in our culture, but it's not what God intends for His children. Listen, we all have to learn to do things on our own apart from the help of other people. We have to learn to kind of be independent people to a degree. But there's nothing that we do in this world that we should do or think that we can do apart from God or apart from Christ. As we face uncertainty and hardship and we're looking for answers and what we can do, we need to remember our need for grace. Our need for strength. Our need to be humble before God. See, grace is the solution, but humility, what do we say? Humility is the key to unlocking God's grace, right? God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I'm, I, I never even went back to talk about who we were talking, who he was addressing here. So, just so you know, younger men, I've got to touch on this because it's in the text, right? So we're going to, let's go back, just back up with me just for a minute because I just got so excited about grace that, that I forgot to uh, speak to you about what's going on in the text. All right, in the first part. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. All right. This is the need. For, he's talking about the need for grace, right, for the people. He's, and he switches from speaking to the elders to speaking to young men. Now, the word for young men in the Greek is just one word. It just means younger. It's in the masculine form, so that's why it says young men. But, and there's a whole lot of questions that come around as far as what, what, is, what, is, what is meant. Is he talking to young pastors coming into the ministry? Is he talking to the congregation at large? Is he talking, you know, who is Peter actually addressing? Or is the elders in verse 5 different than the elders from verse 1? Is he, in verse 5, is he talking about the older congregate, members of the congregation versus the younger members of the congregation? And all of these things have been posited by different people. But the reality is, is when Peter is speaking, there, there's no reason to think when he uses the word elders, he's talking about anything other than what he's been talking about. He was addressing elders as leaders in the church before he is now. And so what he's, what he's saying here is he's addressing the church at large, right? The congregation at large, just those who are... Um, and I won't say necessarily even younger in the faith, but just as opposed to those who have been given leadership responsibilities to those that, that haven't. He's talking to the congregation at large, and he uses this word likewise, which goes back to the instruction that he's given to the elders. Of course, remember, they're examples, right? They're examples, and they're, and they're coming back. And he says, likewise, be subject to your elders, because here's the reality. The church will never accomplish God's purpose without order in the body. Right? So there has, to be, there has to be leadership, there has to be organization, and there has to be submission. And where does submission come from? Humility. Right? Submission comes from humility because we don't ever submit in our pride. 
And so he's reminding the, 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 the people that the elders have been given instruction to watch over you, to take care of you, and you have a responsibility of, of coming alongside of them and encouraging them and helping them. Likewise, exemplify Christ. Do those things. Um, and clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so he's in in an uncovering the need of the congregation for God's grace, Peter addresses them as the younger. And he tells them, listen, you need God's grace for the things which you're about to face. And in order for you to experience the grace of God that will see you through, you need to remember to be humble in your heart and in your attitudes. You need to submit yourself to leadership, but most importantly, you need to submit yourself to Christ. God is opposed to pride. He is opposed to self-sufficiency. It's not that we, as I said before, that we shouldn't do things for ourselves or that we shouldn't be seeking to provide for our needs or provide for our family and just wait, well, you know, God's supposed to take care of me. I'm just going to let him do it. No, we have responsibility. See, it's not, it's not what we do as much as the attitude with which we do it in which heart, in which pride and humility are manifested. Pride says, I don't need anyone. Humility says, above all, I need God and his grace to get through this. Jesus reminds us of this attitude of pride and the need for humility when he speaks to his disciples in John 15, 5. And he says there, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, you can't. He says, listen, I, I saved you for a reason. I've come for a reason to empower you and to strengthen you, but you can't do anything apart from me. Pride says, I don't need anything. Humility says, I recognize that above all, I need Christ and I need the grace of God to see me through. Because it's not going to happen on its own. I need and I am dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he goes on to explain how humility is enacted, he, he really demonstrates throughout, this, throughout these three verses two, two areas of humility. And we're only going to get to the first one today, the, the specific need of humility in the church. And then he goes on in verses 6 and 7 to express the need for humility in the rest of life. So from a specific to a general application. We're going to deal with the specific now. Look at verse 5 with me again. He says, be subject to your elders. We've already talked about how that creates the need for humility. He says, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. You realize the church would never accomplish anything as long as everybody's insisting on doing things their own way. It just, it just can't happen. Well, I think we ought to do it this way, and I think we ought to do it this way, and I think we ought to do it this way. Listen, God appoints people, and, and as a church, we appoint people to positions of leadership in order to give us direction and to, to help move us forward. 
Once those people are in place, the responsibility of the people, as long as those people are being biblical in their approaches, the responsibility of the congregation is to support them and to help them accomplish the work we've given them to do. That's how the church moves forward. But it can't happen unless we humble ourselves and recognize that our way isn't always the best way. We need each other. We need to work together. He says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. The picture is that of wrapping ourselves in the kind of humble attitude that fosters healthy relationships among church members. It seeks to follow the instruction the Apostle Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, the, the, the great truth in living the Christian life is recognizing that it's not about you. It's about God. It's about God's glory. It's about God's purposes. It's about exalting Christ. It's about spreading the gospel. Do you play a role in that? Absolutely. But it's not about having your ego stroked. It's not about getting your way. It's not about doing things your way. It's about working together as God's people to accomplish His purposes. God designed the church in such a way that He gives gifts to various members of the church in order to accomplish the purpose because His desire is that we work together to get where He has us going. No individual is meant to do it on their own. The church will never fulfill its purpose as long as people fail to recognize the significance of the church and the role that they are to play in it. I was listening to the radio the other morning on Moody Radio and they were talking about gifts in the church and, and in particular the gift of discernment and how some Christians are more discerning than the others and that's why one of the uh, speakers pointed out is that's why it's so important for the church to come together because there's people that God has gifted in the church to be discerning, to help the church to be discerning about the things that are out there and the things to avoid and to protect them. And then one of the other um, uh, hosts got on there and they were talking about and says the and he said something about the, the failure of so many to recognize the need for the church is because we all feel like we're experts. You know, if we don't know something, we just Google it. Right? I mean, the internet has the answers. You don't know what to do, you don't know how to do something, you're unsure about something, you just Google it. And, 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 then, and then, you know what, then you have all the information that you need. That's, that's not the way the church is structured. We're, we're, we, we can't Google the answers. Okay? God hasn't gifted us with the power of Google. Now, it may be something that God can use, right? He can help, we can use it as a tool, but it's not a gift, all right? We need each other. God has designed the church in such a way as that we are to work together. And unfortunately, so many of the tools that are out there force us into a false sense of self-reliance in which we think we don't need other people. We don't need the church. We lose sight of the importance of it in thinking that our way and our desires are the most important thing. That's the destructive nature of pride. It brings division. It brings hurt. It brings destruction to fellowship and relationships. P. 
Peter assumes we recognize the necessity of the church because he's, he's addressing the elders and he's addressing the congregation. He says, listen, clothe yourselves with humility because, listen, you're not going to agree on everything, but if you will put others' needs above your own, if you will try to see things from other people's perspective, if you will just humble yourself, you can avoid so much of the conflict that could come. Thomas Schreiner in the New American Commentary says of this passage, he says, smooth relations in the church can be preserved if the entire congregation adorns itself with humility. When believers recognize that they are creatures and sinners, they are less apt to be offended by others. Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. See, because... In that prideful sense in which we think we have all the answers and we know everything that's right, and we're supposed we're, what we're what we're basically saying is, or what we're failing to recognize rather, is that you know what we may not agree with so and so over here, we may not agree with so and so over here, but the reality is is that we're all sinners, we've all fallen short of God's glory. None of us are perfect. We're not always going to see eye to eye, and that's okay. We can still work together. We can still humble ourselves. We can still try to see things from their perspective. We can still work together for, this, for a common goal. And we can still seek compromise where it's allowable. Never compromising on the Word of God, but compromising on our personal preferences in order that we might accomplish God's purposes. If we're going to honor Christ, grow in faith, and see God's grace being poured out on the church, we need to humble ourselves and begin to pursue God's will and God's way over our own. Exercising the giftings He's given us in order that we might contribute to the body of Christ. You know, it's so easy, as I said at the beginning, when, when we're faced with difficulty in life, our first tendency is to withdraw. Our second tendency is to respond. Right? We withdraw first, that's a protective measure, and then we respond. Withdrawing may not necessarily be a bad thing. We need to withdraw sometimes in order to seek God in prayer. We need to withdraw sometimes in order to just to get our head on straight. Um, but we should never withdraw just into ourselves. We should always withdraw in order to focus our attention on Christ. But then when we're ready, and so that when we're ready to respond... We haven't just been stewing in our own anger, in our own frustration, in our own thoughts, but so that those things can be showered with grace, so that our responses will honor God, so that instead, when the world shows us hostility, instead, we can show them grace, as in if, even as we've been shown grace. Christ taught us to Forgive those that hurt us. Christ taught us that we should pray for those that persecute us. Christ taught us to basically put your pride aside, humble yourself, and respond in a way that reflects His love, His truth, and His way. Because you've been forgiven much, you also must forgive much. And as we humble ourselves, God's grace is revealed to us and is at work in us. And the power of the Spirit begins to 
accomplish the purposes for which He's set us apart, in which He's called us out of darkness. You know, we're only here by grace. We only continue by grace. And we'll only accomplish the work that God's given us to do as His church by grace. It means we need to recognize our tendency towards pride and humble ourselves under God's hand and God's word that we might do God's work. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we recognize and remember this morning the destructive power of pride as it stands to derail our faith and distract our devotion, as it stands in opposition to Your grace, Father, we ask that You would humble our hearts. That You would help us to recognize in ourselves those things which we have said and done out of pride rather than humility. And Lord, as You convict our hearts, I pray that we each and every one of us, Lord, would just lift up to You and confess that prideful tendency. And we would seek reconciliation with You first and then with those that we've harmed. And Lord, that through this, that You would continue to build relationships within Your body. That You would continue to strengthen our resolve in carrying out Your will and living in such a way as to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and to reflect His character to the world around us. And Lord, that by humbling ourselves before You and, and seeking stronger and better relationships with the body that You've made us a part of, Father, I, I, just, I know that Your blessing awaits. That Your grace will come and will not just maintain us, but will empower us for the mission that You've given us. Strengthen us in our difficulties. Sustain us in our hardships. That You will fight for us while we stand still. Lord, lead us to trust You in all things. And let us look to Your Word for guidance in the things we don't understand. And may Your Spirit continue to teach us day in and day out that we might be more conformed to the image of Christ. That He would be exalted in us individually and corporately as Northside Baptist Church. Lord, deal with us in accordance with Your perfect will. And move us to a place of repentance so that we might pursue that for which you have called us out of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And we ask this all in the precious name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I want to ask you to stand with me.